Well, good morning again, uh, 59th Street family. Uh, we welcome those of you who, who are joining us a little bit later today. And again, I hope, I hope the commute wasn't uh, too disastrous. Um, also excuse you know, the sounds if you might hear firecrackers like that. Um, it is Chinese New Year's and we are celebrating um, on 8th Avenue. Uh, so yeah, just be, just be a little mindful of that. But as we do move forward in our sermon series, uh, Living Testimony, where we explore how the gospel is meant to be preached, not just through our lips, but through our actions and through our lives as well. Now, last week, we talked a little bit about the idea of responsibility, the responsibility as Christians to live out the commands that God has given us uh, through the scriptures, and how through that commitment to be obedient to his commands, that is our demonstration of our love to him. And so far throughout the series, we've kind of been seeing this reoccurring theme of deception and this reoccurring theme of false teachers. And as we move forward in our passage today, we are going to see that John touches again on the idea of false teachers and not being deceived by their false messages. Now, I'm not sure if you guys have been aware, uh, but the artificial intelligence takeover has been something of a hot topic lately as AI has been literally been increasing by leaps and bounds, uh, creating anything from very creative and complex art to computer code, literally, by itself. It's truly amazing, it's truly crazy to see. And a common joke is that the age of Skynet, the age of the Terminators, has finally been introduced into our world. But my favorite movie concerning artificial intelligence and machine takeover, uh, my favorite series is actually not the Terminator series. My favorite series is the Matrix series, uh, where humanity is enslaved by a powerful artificial intelligence called the Matrix. And the goal of the Matrix, the goal of these artificial intelligence, these robots, their goal is to create a simulated reality that is designed to keep humanity in a state of unconscious deception while the machines kind of use their bodies as an energy source. Very creepy to think about. And so we see that the entire purpose of the matrix is to create a deceitful reality, a false reality designed to keep people in a state of ignorance by providing them with a reality that seems real but is actually entirely false. It's all good. <laughs> and so as the protagonist Neo, as he's kind of, kind of awakened to the truth of reality and he finally sees what the real world is actually like, he's able to instantly discern between what is false and what is true. And after receiving the truth, after seeing the world as it really is, he makes it a mission for himself to enter back into the matrix in order to free people from deception, to free people from falsehood. And so in the same way that the matrix is a deceitful reality kind of designed to keep people in a state of ignorance, false teaching in the Christian community can also deceive people into believing a false reality as well. And it keeps them from understanding the truth of the gospel. And the thing is, these false teachings, they can kind of come from many different ways. They can come from subtle misinterpretations to just outright lies and deception. 
but what we're going to uncover today is that no matter whether these false words are covert or overt, it will eventually lead people away from the truth of the gospel. And so kind of with this in mind, let us explore our passage today, which comes from 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 to 27. And hear the word of the Lord. Dear children, this is the last hour, and you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come, and this is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. So who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, but whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. But as for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. As we dive into this passage, we see that one of the main themes of this letter is that it's really a warning against false teachers who may try to lead us away from the truth of Jesus Christ. And the unfortunate reality is that these false teachers can come in many forms and spread many different types of teachings that are simply just not in line with the Bible. I think on one level, these could be overtly non-Christians, if they come from different religions or different philosophies that directly contradict the Christian faith. Um, I think those are very clear examples that I believe most Christians would be kind of wary of, but there are also a variety of false teachings circulating amongst the Christian church that is more covertly false. That when you examine them, they have the appearance of Christianity but actually teach something that is completely opposite to the gospel. Now, one unfortunate Christian-like teaching that has been around for a while is the prosperity gospel, which emphasizes our financial prosperity and health more than the true message concerning the forgiveness of sins and the promise of life everlasting. And the thing is, I think on some level, we kind of would all wish that the prosperity gospel was true. We all wish we had a little bit more money. We all wish our health was a little bit better. We wish that there's a God who would bless us in all sorts of material ways, but this is actually not the gospel message that we received. Another Christian-like teaching is the thought that the primary goal, the only goal of Christianity is to improve the socioeconomic conditions of society rather than to bring people to salvation in God. As Christians, I think we absolutely do 
have a call to make the world a better place and to transform our surroundings. But the reason we're to do that is to bring people to realize that there is actually a greater transformation that takes place within them when they put their faith in Christ. But on the other opposite end of the spectrum, there are other Christians who believe that they don't have to do anything at all, that salvation is all that matters, that the spiritual life is all that matters. They have no need to tend to the pains of others. They have no need to tend to the hurts in the people's lives or in the community. And this is actually, believe it or not, an ancient heresy known as Gnosticism, where only the spiritual world matters, only the spiritual message matters, and nothing physical matters at all. And such a teaching is false as well, as Jesus calls us to physically serve each other and to physically serve those who are in a less fortunate circumstance than us. But why is it so bad to believe in these falsehoods? I mean, surely it's not like end of the world. The thing is, it's wrong or it's bad to believe in these things because essentially what believing in falsehood does is that it places our trust in something other than God. It can place our trust in our wealth. It can place our trust in our good deeds. And what this means is that we are no longer placing our hope in what Christ did for us on the cross, rather in what blessings we receive or what social actions that we do. And when we begin to place our trust in things outside of God, our understanding of whether we are saved or whether we are loved by God becomes a little tenuous. If our thoughts of salvation is tied to receiving blessings from God, what happens when we hit a rough patch in life? Do we believe that we're no longer loved? Or what if we put our belief that we are saved through our good deeds, then what happens when we go through a stretch of lack of motivation or burnouts? we'd feel like we've lost our salvation. And so what we see is that believing in falsehood prevents us from experiencing the transformative power of the gospel in our lives and the salvation that comes with it. And so the question is, what are we supposed to do to prevent falsehood? How do we align ourselves with God's truth? So let's take a look at that in our second sermon point today, the spirit of truth. So in the passage we read today, John reminds his readers in uh, verse 20 that the readers have received an anointing from the Holy One or the Holy Spirit. And what's important to remember about the anointing of the Holy Spirit is that it's not just some sort of one-time event, but it's actually an ongoing presence of the Spirit in the lives of us as believers. And so what we learn is that the ability to align ourselves with the truth of the gospel is not rooted in our intelligence, it's not rooted in our abilities, but it's rooted in the spirit that lives in us. And this is such a radical concept because the Holy Spirit isn't just some sort of tool, it's not just some sort of power, the Holy Spirit is literally God living inside you. And if indeed God is the God of truth, and that God of truth now lives in us, then the Spirit is what allows us to distinguish the truth of the gospel from falsehood. 
It allows us to see through the lies and deceptions of false teaching that we might see or hear concerning our spiritual lives and our salvation. But of course, I think the obvious question is that we all have the Holy Spirit, we all have the ability to discern truth from falsehood, but how come people are still deceived? How come Christians are still deceived? And the answer lies in the fact that discernment is actually not automatic. It's something that the Holy Spirit gives us, it's something that the Holy Spirit works in our lives, but it's also something that we also have to actively seek as well, to tune into, kind of like a radio. And one way to develop this discernment is by immersing ourselves in the Word of God. The more we read and the more we study the Bible, the more we literally become familiar with God's Word, with God's voice, and the more we can recognize when something goes against his teaching. And so as we read scripture, as we seek God, we realize that also we're not alone in this process, but the spirit living in us guides us as well as he gives us wisdom and understanding. And so through reading scripture, we're putting ourselves in a position to be led by the spirits of truth. Scripture is not the only resource we have in tuning into God's truth, but being in a community with other believers as well. That as we surround ourselves with people who are also seeking to follow God, we can learn from one another. We can help each other recognize what is true and what is false. The body of Christ is meant to literally be a support system for one another, holding each other accountable when it comes to the truth. And so what we see is that as we come to encounter the truth through the Holy Spirit, through God's word, and through the body of Christ, we begin to develop a taste for what is genuine, a taste for what is true. We begin to become so familiarized with what is true that we are able to kind of sniff out anything that is false concerning our salvation. I remember before coming on board uh, 59th Street, I was working as a teacher's assistant uh, for my professor. And one of my roles was I would have to read the students' blog posts. Um, and you know they have to answer certain questions. Everyone had to answer certain questions. And I would have to read two or three blog posts per student every week. And because I was you know, reading all of their works you know, three times a week, every week for you know, several months, I began to become very aware of how each of them wrote, some of the vocabulary they used, some of the words they used, and even some of the grammatical mistakes that they would habitually make. And in one unfortunate scenario, I was reading a blog post from one student who normally, he didn't write very well, and he didn't really show much critical thinking in his response. And so as, as I was reading his blog post, I was like, wow, this is, uh, this, is, this is incredible, right? This is very detailed, this is very well written, um, and it also sounds eerily familiar to a certain Christian scholar who has like two PhDs. Now, of course, you know, he plagiarized, but we gave him a second chance. We're like, hey, you know, like we realize this is, this is a little bizarre for, for you. So we gave him a second chance to, to kind of rewrite this. But the only way I was able to uncover this was by being familiar with how he wrote, with how he thought. And it's the very same. It's literally the same with God's spirits and God's word. 
That as we familiarize ourselves with the truth of God's word and with the spirit of truth that lives in us, our ability to detect what is false and counterfeit becomes easily available. And so for us as Christians, what's the significance of realizing this truth, right? We're called to live in this truth, but why? What's so important about that? We're reminded that we are to remain in this truth because as John says in chapter 2, verse 24, he says this, As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, that being the truth. And if it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. The readers are essentially called to remain in the truth of the Christian doctrine that they received. And the reason why John used the word remain is because it's also a reminder that accepting the truth of the gospel is not something that you do once, you know, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. It's not just some, some prayer that you recite or just some baptism event. Rather, being remaining in the truth or remaining in, this, in the gospel is something that we do on a daily basis. That as we wake up, we acknowledge, we affirm that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that as we carry throughout our days, whether it's in the afternoon or evening, we try to actively live out the commands of Jesus. And as we sleep, we're to acknowledge the forgiveness of sins and the promise of life everlasting. Every single of every, sorry, every single second, every single minute of our lives should be marked by a constant yearning to remain in the truth of the gospel, to live in the salvation of Jesus Christ. But the reason we're also to remain in this truth is not just for the sake of truth either, but John actually, he tries to drive in a deeper point. We're to remain in this truth because by remaining in it, we will remain in the Son and in the Father. That as we remain in the truth of the gospel, we experience fellowship with Christ and with God the Father as well that we remain in a continual relationship where the Father and the Son speaks to us and also speaks through us. And I love this idea of fellowship because we as humans, we are social people. We are social beings. We desire community and we desire relationship. And by remaining in the Son and the Father, we experience the greatest relationship possible. We enjoy a relationship with our Creator and with our Savior. We are literally raptured and brought into the inner life of God as we begin to see the world from God's perspective. We begin to see the truths of Scripture, not as something that we ought to memorize or know, but we begin to see these truths as the heart of God himself. That as we experience a relationship with God, we see that he indeed does love his enemies. In fact, you begin to uncover and realize that God is even willing to die for them. And as we enter into this relationship and into the inner life of God, we are invited to follow suits, to follow in the same sort of divine love that he embodies. There's a popular saying that we're the average of the five people we spend the most time with. And there's a good deal of scientific literature that shows that people will adopt the habits, the attitudes, and the mindsets of the five closest people that they spend time with. And the question is, 
as we enter into a relationship with the Trinity, as we enter into a fellowship and a relationship with the Father, with the Son, and with the Spirit, and invite them into our lives, how much will our lives change as we begin to adopt the habits, the attitudes, and the mindsets of our God? And so, hopefully, we see that remaining in the truth of the Christian faith is not just about knowing the right answers or being able to kind of recite a few Bible verses. We see it's not just something that we have to understand philosophically or logically. It's important we do that, don't get me wrong, but we're called to go beyond that. We're called to remain in this truth so that we can develop a deep and personal relationship with the Father, with the Son, and with the Spirit. We're called to experience fellowship with God as we avoid false teachings and remain in his truth, to remain in God's perspective of the world and the message that he has for us. And as we remain in the truth and remain in the fellowship of God, it is my hope and my desire to see all of us change, to be transformed, to be transformed into Christ-likeness as you are welcomed into the Holy Trinity to experience life from God's point of view, to adopt his love for his people and to join him on his mission to seek and save those who are lost. And so as we come to an end of our sermon today um, and our call to be a living testimony, I pray that we'll all take some time this week to remain in God's truth. I think we as pastors, we, we love to tell people to read the Bible, right? Read the Bible, read scripture. And the reason we do that, it's not because it's some legalistic thing we ought to do, or, it's, you know, or hopefully it's not just lazy advice from us pastors. Rather, it's an encouragement. It's an encouragement for us all to truly join in the fellowship with our Creator and with our Savior. That as we read the Bible, we begin to see the world from God's vantage point so that we can more effectively live our lives here as his people who are created in his image. And so why don't we do that this week? Why don't we pledge ourselves to remain in Scripture, at least for this little week that we have? But until then, um, I invite you all to join me for a time of prayer. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you, Lord, that you have invited us into such a wonderful fellowship with you. Uh, but Lord, we acknowledge at the same time, in order for us to enter into this fellowship, it would require us to, to be aware, to be cognizant of what is true and what is false. And so I pray, Lord, that as we pour deeper into your word and pour our lives deeper into a fellowship with you, that you will reveal to us through your spirit what is true and what is false. Remind us, Lord, daily of our forgiveness of sins and our eternal salvation in you. Uh, remind us, Lord, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Remind us, Lord, of our call to make disciples of all nations. And we pray, Father, that as we join in fellowship with you and enter into your inner circle, that you will radically transform us into Christ's likeness. We pray all of this in your precious Son's name. Amen.